it's so good to see you, Hava. That's good to see you too, Michael. I've had a very good day today. You have, you've had a good day. Yeah, I successfully meditated first thing in the morning. I did a little wheelchair exercise video. We reached 20 Patreon followers, which is very exciting. That's very exciting. Welcome to Hi, How Are You? I'm co-host Michael. I'm here with my other co-host. Her name is Hava. You know her from the other two episodes we've done so far. It's a thing now. So welcome, you know, it's the week of Purim. We have a whole Purim discussion we're going to go into, right? That's the plan. Yes. Welcome to Hi, How Are You? This week, we will interpret a 2,000-year-old text from the rabbis. Everyone's favorite. We're digging up the goods on this podcast. That's how we roll. So to remind everyone, this podcast is all about helping Hava live. She's got some problems, some neurological stuff. Yes. It is about helping me live because I do have some kind of as yet undiagnosed neurological disorder, but it's also its own thing. Just us talking about politics, the Talmud, and whatever else we want to talk about. It's about keeping me alive, but it also is just its own chill thing. Whatever your reason, if you like the content, become a patron. The stickers are out. That's the big news. We have stickers. Yes, the stickers are out. This show is good, and also you're more obligated to join our Patreon. Wow. Just from like a halachic perspective of Jewish law, like it is metaphysically important, but no pressure. And you get a cute sticker, which has a chamsa on it that says, hi, how are you? It's very cute. I would like to make t-shirts at some point in the future, but for now, you'll just have to content yourself with stickers. One step at a time. First stickers, then t-shirts, then we're podcast royalty. I mean, proportionally, if you wait our Patreon followers for the time our podcast has existed, we are equivalently podcast royalty compared to the growth curve of other royal podcasts. And we will maintain this growth rate, obviously. We are like the Jewish Chapo Trap House, except without a fucking annoying name. Yeah, we don't have an annoying name. We have good gender representation. So, you know, that's cool, right? right? Yes. People are into that. People love that. People love gender. Unfortunately, gender does not love people, it would seem. I'm, I'm not clear if it's a two-way relationship. No, it's very confusing. Okay, we have all the genders. You know, we're a power couple. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed to say that? Or is that something like other people say about us? Can we be a self-declared power couple? If the Bible itself is allowed to declare itself the authoritative word of God, then everyone else is allowed to declare themselves whatever they want. All right, interesting. We all have to be our own hype men our own hype people well that that is one form of logic that you will be exposed to on this show <laughs> just bad. just bad, bad just logic like, just a real fucking mess if a is allowed to do b then clearly c <laughs> should be allowed to do d that's just normal <sighs> It's so true. I mean, the Talmud is the exact same way. The Talmud is also a mess. We are, I would say, as logical as the Talmud, which is to say not at all. When you look at the Talmud, you see conflicting types of logic being applied willy-nilly? Absolutely. I think people who interpret the Talmud in an orthodox way, they do a lot of tricks to make it all nice, to make it like one nice picture where everything 
makes logical sense, but in fact, it is completely whack do. That's a term we use in the biz, which is what we call the business in the biz. Question. Yes. Question. <laughs> yes. Most people, most seculars, most moderns, most millennials, most boomers, most Gen Xers, most Gen Zers, most muggles, they'll look at something like the Talmud or the Tanakh or the Quran or something, and they'll be like, well, look, here's contradictory applications of logic. Therefore, we can dismiss the whole thing fuck that let's go eat some pizza yeah before we go into Purim give the listeners a little taste of why even though it's a big giant hot mess why 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 even engage in it at all why not get into sewing which by the way I'm getting into sewing I'm really excited about it I just got a sewing machine Tava tell us well, I would like to say, first of all, that we can have pizza regardless. It's not a choice between pizza and Talmud. It's not a pizza Talmud binary. Baruch Hashem. I think looking at something that is a logical mess and learning the intellectual and emotional skills necessary to take that senseless mess and turn it into a narrative that empowers us in the present, that's the exact same set of emotional and intellectual skills that we need to survive in the world and that we need to survive trauma. Because if you look at our past, whether it's like our collective past, you know, our individual past, whatever kind of history you're looking at, whatever scope, I think you'll find that the past is a fucking mess of senseless violence and trauma and harm, physical, emotional, spiritual. So when we look at this complete Mishigas, that is the Talmud, we practice that skill of turning our mess into a source of power for ourselves. And I think the Talmud is itself a snapshot of the rabbis turning their own past, their own historic mess of violence of oppression into a source of power for themselves. When you learn Talmud, you're connecting yourself to that long tradition of transforming the senselessness and illogicality of reality into a basis for power and liberation. That sounds pretty fucking dope. <laughs> What's, I especially resonate with the second point you made. You're reading this text compiled by a bunch of rando dudes, right? It's not so much about figuring out what are they saying so that I can do it. It's about like, wow, these people. If you could spy on a bunch of gossiping queers to feel connected to them. We, we watch period pieces because... At some level, we want to realize that even though we're born in different times, we're all humans and, and are trying to do the same shit. And I think it's like a queer process. Like it's a process, you know, we don't sit down just to see what they said. We sit down to see how they interpreted their world. And like queers are like the master interpreters of the world. If you just think about drag, for example, drag is Talmudic in that it takes this senseless complex of gender stereotypes, beauty standards, and it reads that text into a source of power for people who do drag. I think that this thing of reading a text is like a queer art form. Queers have a natural talent for that because we are all texts interpreting ourselves, you know? And the more you've had to practice that skill of self-interpretation, the more you're going to be able to transfer that from subject to subject. You heard it here first. <laughs> if you do drag, 
you are studying Talmud, you are a learned <laughs> future rabbi. Good job. Every rabbi should do drag. There's that RuPaul quote. I mean, God, I can't believe I'm at a place in my life where I'm quoting RuPaul. I don't even know how to feel about that. But RuPaul said, you're born naked and the rest is drag. Throw that into the pot of shit that we're talking about. I think this is a great place to make a hard fucking pivot into our text for the episode because it's sort of about bodies being interpreted by outside forces. I love it. Let's do it. It's the week of Purim. What's going on, Hava? If you don't know about Purim, Google it. Esther who is not queen yet, has to seduce King Ahasuerosh so that she can become the queen. But there's this uh, this little sentence in the Talmud. So this is in Masechet Megillah, and it's on Dafyud Gil Amud Aleph. So this is in the tractate of the Talmud that is about reading the Purim scroll. Page 13, side A. And there's this little phrase, Bikesh letaram taram betula taram, taram berula taram. What that means, directly is whenever he, and the he in this case is Ahasuerosh, the king of Persia, theoretically the king of the whole world at this point in mythological terms, whenever he wanted to taste the taste of a virgin, he would taste it. And whenever he wanted to taste the taste of a non-virgin, he would taste it. Basically what this text is teaching is the way that Esther was able to triumph in this sort of sexual gladiator contest she was in against all the other candidates for queen it's like the original casting couch yeah i mean it probably was like a casting settee or casting divan so it's like much nicer than a couch (laughs) well it was a king who was doing the casting we're talking royalty here royalty that's notably sexually wild it's known in the text that ahasuerosh is like a sexual deviant let's say apparently whenever he tasted esther which i guess we're supposed to gather from this text that he did taste her on some multiple occasions if he wanted her to taste like a virgin she would and if he wanted her to taste like a not virgin then also that would happen which is wild because it's not necessarily that esther had like a switch it's just like mystically somehow she had the appropriate flavor at the appropriate time are we meant to interpret this like god intervening and making esther taste like a virgin when she needs to taste like a virgin tasted for the very first time so to speak (laughs) so is this is this her skill or is this a divine intervention in order to get her to become queen i do not know my instinct is to say i think akash being like the kinkly patriarchal dude that he was just tasted whatever he wanted to taste because like he was in the habit of projecting his own desires onto the women around him and basically esther rose to power that would later allow her to save the jews through no intervention of her own i don't know there's a better definition of God than that, the force which is like behind the coincidences that allow us to save ourselves and others. The other interpretation is it could be a metaphor. It could be that tasting like a virgin isn't really literal tasting. It's behaving like a virgin. It's acting as if one is a virgin. She could play different sexual personae in bed. Right. I have a little bit of an Esther thing. I tried out to be (laughs) Esther. (laughs) I tried out to be Esther in my Purim spiel in third grade. They, They didn't give it to me. I was a beauty contestant. I was one of the people who clearly didn't pass muster with... How the hell do you pronounce his name? Ahasuerosh. Ahasuerosh. So I didn't pass muster with the king of Persia. Maybe I aspire to be Esther. Why not the king of Persia? Hashtag feminism. 
Hashtag feminism. You heard it here first, King of Persia. I like your interpretation more because that fits in with my vision that Esther is like an expert sex worker spy assassin. This femme fatale who's able to just wear whatever sexy mask is necessary to rise to prominence within the political power of the day. And I fucking respect that. We all play personas to get resources that are necessary for ourselves. Like when I go to the hospital, I am always wondering, should I be wearing the persona of like someone who's freaking out about my health? Or will I get better care if I play it cool? Whenever I go in to see someone who has power over me, which doctors do, and which of course, like a lot of people in the world do, I'm always wondering what persona will get me what I need here. And it sounds like Esther had the gift of knowing which one to project to get what she needed. In the broader sense of the word queer, it's a constant conscious effort of thinking about what persona you need to be projecting in order to get what you want from society. The boss of the company I work at, I imagine probably doesn't have to think too consciously about how he's coming off in order to get through his day. Being queer is the process of conscious persona management in a world that might be hostile to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're out there, boss of Michael's company, please don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, really don't. That's a little bit about Esther. I think we'll talk a little more about Esther next week. We're going to do another section from Masechem Megillah talking about polyamory and threesomes in the Talmud. That will be our next episode. But also, Michael, you know, what's up? What's good? What's some non-Talmudic shit? Well, as the listeners probably have gathered, Hava is on the phone. I'm, I'm calling her because I'm traveling. I'm in California. I'm playing some music out here. I play for folk dances. I play for the hippies in uh, something called contra dancing. And it's fine. I'm in Pasadena. I kind of hate California. And I think it's mostly just a self-hatred that I'm projecting onto the state <laughs> like people don't have shame here and their aesthetics are totally whack come on seriously like you can't mix colonial furniture with stucco it's just wrong what are you doing get it together people and yet and yet you know i just need to lighten the fuck up michael what is a contra dance and does it have anything to do with the contra the cia sense contra dancing is a form of partnered dancing similar to square dancing but it happens in long lines if you've ever seen a jane austen movie which you have because you're all giant queers you've seen those people dancing in long lines right <laughs> They're doing English country dancing and they're kind of like, oh, like who's going to marry who? Right, right, right. Well, contra dancing is like the bastardization of that. Danced by folk people, fast, fiddly, Irish, French, Canadian fiddle music. It's fun and it's very intergenerational. And there's gender free contra dances where they don't even use gendered language to describe the dance moves. It's fun, wholesome, flirty dancing stuff. That sounds very cute. Oh, it's super cute. Where are you? The video connection is really shitty. You there? Yeah, I'm here. What about you, Hava? Tell us what is up. Okay. Give us the deets. Well, I cannot dance because I don't have full control of my legs, but I do like to imagine myself like I would be in one of those Jane Austen movies as the grand dame of the house in like a wicker wheelchair. Oh, yeah. But like still with a very large hoop skirt. Yes. You know? And everyone's sort of afraid of you because you're like the symbol of death, but also you're incredibly powerful exactly. and they respect you. Exactly. Would it be a black dress? You're like Mrs. Haversham, the wedding 
cake that's rotting yes. in the corner. I would be always dressed as if I'm in mourning, and you would always be expecting me to poison you. I love that Which for I you. would. That is great. That's a good look. <laughs> yes. Join my Patreon now to support my dream of being Jewish Downton Abbey lady. She needs to buy white foundation. She needs to look like a pale fucking ghost. <laughs> Join the goddamn Patreon people, please yeah that was great that was great this was fun i had lots of fun this was a very fun podcast to record thanks to all our listeners when this comes out it'll be sunday so shabuah tov i hope that you all are able to be the sexy chameleon femme fatales that you wish to see in the world yes yes you gotta flex the queer flex the persona muscle this has been a treat did you just get a text I heard that. No, that was you, silly. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Judge not lest you shall be judged, bitch. Okay, all right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Shavuot everyone. Bye, guys.